Well, the last time I spoke to you, we left with this understanding that when Paul is speaking to individuals in the Bible and when he's writing and Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit to communicate, that we're asking the question, who is it ultimately that Paul is speaking to? Is he speaking to us as a gathering of cells, as a bunch of mental brain functions and synapses in our brains, the pulling together and putting together of all the mechanical material elements of our body and being and how we react and collect that in the psychological way in which we are born in upon by the environment around us or how we're shaped by the very nature and the DNA that we've gone. Is that all that Paul is speaking to? Or is he speaking to, when he speaks to us, is he speaking something of us and addressing us as something more than just bodies that function, material entities? When Paul is addressing us, when the word of God comes to us, it speaks to the spirit of a man that there is something in us that is immaterial, that goes beyond merely our physical presentation, that there's a consciousness of human existence that lies behind, you might say, what is materially presented. And God speaks to that individual. And God is communicating to us as spirit. In fact, the Lord Jesus said of God that God is spirit in John chapter 4, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When God made us, God made us. He formed our bodies, the Bible says, out of the clay or the earth or the ground. But then God breathed in us a living soul. God breathed or infused within us a spirit that would know him and commune with him and live in relationship with him. These are the things that we were discussing. God made us and God created us as spiritual beings that we may commune in relationship with him who is spirit himself. This is what the born-again Christian is. He's a new spirit. He's someone who has had a new spirit raised or created him. And the old spirit he was, the old man that he was, has been put to death. He's been crucified. And God has raised up a purified and cleansed spirit that may now come into the presence of God and commune with God and know God and experience God and may receive in relationship with itself God so that they may be together and walk together and fellowship together and know each other and so that he might have imparted to him the very mind of Christ. This is the position that the born-again believer, the born-again Christian has. We looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul writes, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. And that's a description of the born-again man. In this born-again, renewed spirit now, he is living in communion with the Spirit of God. He has a relationship where he has received the Spirit of God. So he's able to commune with God. And yet at the same time, it reveals to us something. The unsaved person has received or lives in communion with the Spirit of this world. The born-again man has received the Spirit of God, that he may commune with God. The unsaved man lives in a situation where as spirit, he still communes with spirit, but he communes with the spirit of this world or this age. And one of the important things we said is that, we, that it's foolhardy, foolhardy to think that you'll ever have spiritual independence. The spirit, our spirits were made to commune with spirit. And if you do not hold communion with the Holy Spirit, you will be communing with an unholy spirit, whether you know it or not. The Lord Jesus confronted the legalistic, righteous Pharisees and told them that you are of your father, the devil. You thought that you were communing with the holy God. You're not. It's just the situation, a place you're in. And it's a bit of a warning for 
The young individual who grows up, for example, in the church and decides that they want to go out on their way and they want to have independence from the things they've learned. They want to discover life for themselves and they want to live according to their own choices and they go out thinking somehow that they've expressed themselves in liberty and that now they're moving in their own way of independence. They're not. They're not going out by themselves. They're not independent. They're being trailed and hounded by an evil spirit that goes with them. And I tried to share with you some illustrations that I experienced from the travel that we have abroad and where we travel around the world, but it's very evident as you travel around the world that you see the attending of evil spirits all over the place when men turn from God and they will not worship God and they don't commune with Him. Other spirits are there. In fact, I think I wrote out a little letter to members of our church this week expressing the reality of I think we, how we need to address ourselves in the age in which we live today. When I'm traveling overseas and we're doing our training, one of the questions that we ask individuals that we're training is to identify members of their household or their domestic relationships that don't know the Lord Jesus and to begin praying for them. And they give us a list of those individuals that they're praying for. And then further on in our training, one of the questions we ask them is, what is the sin that dominates the lives of the people that you're praying for? Can you think of some particular sins? And different countries, they'll give you different answers. But if you're in India and if you're in Nepal, they don't bat an eye. They say idolatry. They worship idols. Their lives are bound up in the worship of idols. How do they know that? Well, because that's where their life was before they met the Lord Jesus before they came to worship the one true God and the creator of all the universe. They were bound in the worship of idols, and they see this as a moral darkness that covers their land. As a result, they live recognizing the sin that dominates their world, and they raise their children in caution against that sin and cultivating them to worship the one true God, and they create with them a warning and a gauge against the idolatry that surrounds them. And I wrote to suggest to you that it might be wise in our day and age to see that this is the sin of our day and age as well. The things that we're seeing all around us. We live in an idolatrous age. Paul knew it. John knew that. John writes his letter to the church, and the very last warning that he gives the church in his letter of 1 John is, little children, keep yourself from idols. It's all around us. It's a warning that should be blaring out to us. We have received the Spirit who is from God. Go to Him, bow before Him, worship Him, commune Him. That's why He's redeemed you. That's why He's got you new life and you've been born again. And oh, believers, be caution and guard against the Spirit that is all around us. And oh, young people, be warned. You cannot depart from the living God and go out by yourself. You'll go out in the company of evil spirits that will guide you and direct you and push your life forward whether you know it or not. But how wonderful, how wonderful for the child of God to know that as believers we have new natures. That old man that was in communion with the spirit of this world has gone and now a new man has risen up within them and they are in communion with the living God. We walk with Him and we talk with Him and we have a relationship with Him that is unending. The other thing that this means is we emphasize is that it means that we are not primarily bodies that possess spirits, but we're spirits that possess bodies. And as such, though we can identify our bodies as ourselves in certain ways, the person gets shot and they'll say, I've been shot, right? It was, well, they were shot in the leg, but they were shot, they've been shot. There's a bleeding over of our identity with our bodies. We identify it with ourselves. It's not completely true because our essence the core of what we are transcends our bodies. This is wonderfully true of the believer. Paul says of a believer in 2 Corinthians 5.8, 
that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There is, for the believer who has been born again and has been reconciled to God, has been given this wonderful, clean, right spirit that is fit to commune and relate with God, there is nothing separating us from immediate, immediately entering to the presence of God upon the dispersal and dismissal of our bodies, of our spirits from our bodies. We will go immediately be in the presence of God. There's no mediating thing that needs to take place. There's nothing that needs to be purified anymore. We are ready right now be brought into the presence of the Lord Jesus and enjoy, enjoy his companionship and his company and to go before him. We're ready immediately to be transported into heaven. Now, that's not true of our bodies. That's not true of our bodies. But as to our spirits, what we can say is that we have been completely and totally redeemed. Take your Bibles and turn to Galatians 3.13 for a moment. As to our body, as to our spirits, I should say, we have been completely and totally redeemed. So in speaking of our redemption, the Bible speaks of it in the past tense, something that's happened. And as to our spirits, it's true. So in Galatians 3.13, Paul writes, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. We sing the song, redeemed how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Right? Redeemed by his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. We are redeemed. We are redeemed spirits in complete fellowship with the living God. And nothing can separate us from his presence or his love. Nothing at all. And yet, we're not fully redeemed. There's a part of us that is not fully redeemed. You can go back now to Romans. Go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 23. Here's what Paul writes about us as redeemed individuals. As redeemed individuals, I have been brought into a relationship with God in which He has given me His Holy Spirit, and I live in communion with and in relationship with the Spirit who abides with me and in me, and I abide in Him. And this Spirit communicates to me the very life and power of the Lord Jesus Christ and makes Him real to me. He is in me and I am in Him. There is this unity that has experienced my Spirit with His Spirit, And so in Romans it says, we also that have the first fruits of the Spirit. What's he referring to? We also who ourselves have been redeemed in such a way, we've been born again in such a way that we have received the Spirit of God. And we're in communion with the Spirit of God. That's an expression of this born again life that we have. We also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. My spirit has been redeemed. I have the first fruit of the Spirit of God communing with me, but there's a redemptive work that's still to be done. My body has not been redeemed yet. I just heard a theologian say it this week, and I thought it was great. We are redeemed spirits living in unredeemed bodies. That's it. That's kind of what Paul is going to be talking about all through the last half of chapter 6 and chapter 7 and at least part of chapter 8 as well how it is that we're to live as redeemed spirits in unredeemed bodies. This understanding should solve a bit of a mystery for the believer. If I have been so wonderfully generated that I have holy, pure communion with the living and holy and true God and that I may enter into his presence right and righteous before him, why do I still struggle with temptation? Why do I still stumble into sin? And the answer is this. 
You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. If you've received Christ as your Savior and repented of your sins and believed in Him and you've found all of your life and righteousness from Him alone by faith, you are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You are a new spiritual being, but your body is the same old body that you've always had. In that body resides the ongoing contagion of sin. And through your body, you are still susceptible to temptation and sin, physical death. It's kind of like what I've been struggling with for the last little while. Somehow, about a month ago, someone introduced to me a little germ. And it just doesn't seem to want to go away. And it just keeps circulating through my body. You might know how this. If you get a sinus infection, the first time I got a sinus infection, not a problem. But the problem was once it went away, it's like my body learned how to get sinus infections. And so anytime I got the sniffles again, I got another sinus infection. And it just kept rolling around. Or you get an ear infection. And then you finally get rid of that ear infection because you went swimming or something. But the next time you go swimming, you get another ear infection because your body learns and your body receives that infection. And... Sin works the same way. It's roiling around in our bodies and it plagues our bodies. And with it, temptation rolls over us and comes to us as well. And physical death one day will come upon our bodies too and is coming to bodies even now. So here's the first thing I want you to see here. Now go back to verse 6 in Romans 6.6. 6. Having laid all that, and that's somewhat a review of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. And here's what Paul says. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. We have connected that idea of crucifixion with the new birth. We've said that when a person is born again in Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, they don't just receive a birth certificate, but they also receive a death certificate. The old man, the old spirit they were, has died, and a new man is resurrected within him. So, knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, regeneration, that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And the thing I want you to see here is the body of sin referred to right there is referring literally to your body. Paul calls your body the body of sin. Some have suggested that what Paul is saying here is when he says the body of sin is that God's plan is to deal with the whole reservoir of sin in your life, the whole mass of sin in your life, and one day he wants to take it completely away. And that's true, that's true, he's going to do that, but that is not what is being referred to here. And I think that there are a number of reasons why we should understand that what Paul is saying and what Paul is speaking to is our physical bodies and that the function and activities of our variety should be set aside. So let me give you a number of reasons to understand that. And the first one is this. You have to understand what the word done away with there is, what it means, done away with. The old King James says that the body of sin might be destroyed, and this phrase, done away with, or might be destroyed, actually comes from one word in the Greek, which means to make idle or render inactive. It's to make it powerless. It's not to, in a sense, eradicate it at this point in time. It's to subdue it or put it out of commission. There is something in us which God through putting to death the old man and raising up within us a new spiritual creation, God therefore provides the means of halting, inhibiting the activity of something within us, something that God wants to, in a sense, put out of commission. And what is it? Well, it's the sin that roils in our bodies. Through the new birth, God is working to, in a sense, and God wants to work through our lives and through the spirit he's given us to deactivate the activities of sin that roil in our bodies. That's the idea here. 
Here's another reason why we should understand this as speaking to our bodies. And it's to understand the words that are used in chapter 6, in chapter 7, in chapter 8, and to see that these words always refer to our physical bodies. And the first word is this word here that we have for body, the body of sin. The word in Greek is soma. It is speaking of our physical bodies because everywhere else that that word soma is used now from here on, you'll see that it's referring to the physical body. In fact, the next place that it's used is in verse 12 of chapter 6. There it says, therefore, do not let sin rule or reign in your mortal body that you should obey its truth. Paul is going to have a lot to say about our bodies in chapter 6 and 7 and 8, and he's talking about our physical bodies. So when we read the word body, it's most natural in the context to understand it speaking about our physical bodies. And then he uses other words to refer to our physical bodies as well. The next word that he uses is the word melos, which means members. So in verse 13, he says, And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. What are the members? Well, they're the various parts of your body. They're your brain, and they're your mouth, and your eyes, and your ears, and your hands, and your feet, and it's the things that you act with, the things that you think with, the material part of you that carries forward the activities of your life. And he says, now these things you're to present for righteousness and not for unrighteousness, but he's speaking of our physical bodies. And then there's this term, and this is the term that seems to be used the most loosely oftentimes in these passages, but it's the term flesh or sarks that you'll find throughout the passage. Although in some translations, they've obscured the idea that it's speaking of flesh. But here in verse 19, look there. Paul says it's the first time that you see this term flesh introduced. In this passage, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Now, there's something he said that's not quite right in your flesh, and so I'm going to have to accommodate this so that you understand this. And you know, Unfortunately, the NIV has translated this as your human limitations, which is kind of accurate. But the Bible is being more specific as to where the limitation is established. It's in your flesh. It's in your flesh. Actually, at the end of Romans chapter 7, verse 25, the NIV again seems to get wrong the emphasis here because it speaks of my sinful nature is how it translates this word, my flesh. My flesh. And our flesh is sinful. But it's addressing and locating the place where this sin is expressing itself. It's in our flesh. It's in the substance of what we are. So the words that are used for your physical body in Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8, body, members, flesh, they're not totally interchangeable words. Each of them have different nuances of understanding. And in some cases, they're referencing something more than just what's physical. They're, they're speaking to elements and expressions within the physical, but they're speaking of to the, the physical under the dominance or under the infection of sin. And at other times when Paul might refer to some of these things, he's simply speaking of physical substance. But however the words are used, they all refer at least to the physical or at the base, the physical part of you. And so the reason Paul calls it the body of sin is because that's where sin is residing in him. And if you're a follower and believer in Jesus Christ, that's where sin is still residing in yourself. It's in your bodies. And your bodies are kind of working against your spirit, which is a part of what we need to make as our next point. The next point is this. This means that there's a cross-current of activity 
rising out of the believer's life. There's this conflict that's going on. There are impulses as new creations in Jesus Christ that we're being led into. We have been created in Christ. We're new creatures in Christ, created for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. There's an impulse within us, a design and a desire within the very way in which God has now made us as new spirits to live for Him and please Him and satisfy Him and glorify Him and enjoy Him and experience Him and fulfill His designs and worship Him. Because now we've been made to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And that is something that's flowing out of the heart of the born-again man and woman. But then, as opposed to that, there's also these spasms and fevers of sinful flesh that still well up within us and roil within us and still rise from this container that we live in, that we deal with. The sin is in our flesh. And so it makes our flesh sinful. But we are not as born-again people living in the repose of that flesh. And it's part of a differentiation that I want to be able to make for you. I would put it this way. That old man, that old spirit, was resting deep in the impulses and fleshly impulses and sinful impulse of the body. It was residing there and trying to, at times, domesticate it, trying to educate it trying to get it through a process of understanding and study or through social influences to harness it and keep it at bay. Every once in a while, it spurts up and shows its raw edges, but the fleshly, sinful, fallen old man was residing and living in the flesh, working, in a sense, in a comfortable cooperation with the flesh. But now you're a new man in Jesus Christ, and you're not living in the flesh. You're living opposed to the flesh. You're living against the flesh. Let's look at this a little more, chapter 7. See if I can explain this a little bit more, chapter 7. And, and here again, we're just doing a bit of review. So, this idea of this cross current. Paul says here, there is sin that is still active in him, but he locates the point at which the sin now rises in him and says that it rises from his flesh. It's percolating in his flesh. But he points out that this sin is not what he finds in his spirit or not what he wants in his spirit. So look at verse 17 of chapter 7. And he makes this remarkable statement. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Isn't that kind of remarkable? He's saying here that he's a new man, but sin is still raising its, its expressions within his flesh. But at the same time, it's not where he identifies himself as a being before God. And so he says, it's not me, but it's in my sin-sick flesh that sin is being produced in me. Now look what he says in verse 18. For I know that is in me. He's not able to completely separate himself from his flesh. He says, I know that is in me, but look, that is in my flesh. That is in my body. That's a part of me. I recognize it. Nothing good dwells. So here it's clear that Paul is talking about his flesh in this diseased state of sin and this infected state of sin and that this is what's causing him to fall into sin. So in part, he calls that me, but then he immediately turns to say, but it's not really me. This is the interesting thing. It's confusing because in verse 20, Paul then says, now if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul's not going out of his mind here. He's not confused. Paul is only pointing out that he is a new man and that sin is now expressing itself from the point of his flesh. 
It's not rising up from the new spirit that's in him. It's located in his flesh. And his spirit is not dwelling and living or abiding or in cooperation with that flesh. So look at verses 21 and 24. Just going on, this is just briefly overview. I'll have to look at this in more depth later, but he, he writes this. Then I find a law, and by the word law there, we have to think of it as an acting principle, an active expressive principle. I find a force, he might say. I find an impulse. I find a law that evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. That is, as a regenerate man, my spirit wants to please God and delight in obeying him. But I see another law, force, in my members, my body, my flesh. I see another force or impulse or active principle warring against the law of my mind. And by the way, when you see the law of my mind there, he's not speaking about his brain functions. He's talking about the fact that as a new man, he's received the mind of Christ. He's speaking about the new man he is in Christ. I find a law, the law of my flesh is warring against the law or impulse of my mind. The impulse of the inner man who delights in the law of God. And it's bringing me in captivity to the impulses or forces or active principles of sin which is in my members. The law which is in my members. Paul says, oh wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Speaking about his physical body again. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is saying, this body, these members, this flesh is dragging me down. It's not going where I want to go. Sin has left his heart. It's relocated all its forces into his body. It's true for you as well. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you've believed in him and trusted him and you've been born again, sin has left your heart, but it has, in a sense, relocated all of its forces into your body, into your members, into your flesh. So here's the third thing. This, in a sense, reveals a new pathway for how sin is operating in the believer that is different than how it was operating in them before they were born again. A new pathway in which sin is manifesting itself. So I want you to listen to the, what the Lord Jesus says about the pathology or the pathway of sin that rises out of human beings and the unregenerate man. In Mark chapter 7, verses 21, Mark chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord Jesus says this, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders. Matthew 5, 15, 18 says this, But these things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and defile a man. There's the pathway. There's the pathway of sin in the unregenerate man. It, it comes from the core of his being. It comes from the spirit of who he is and arises out of the spirit of the man and then it flourishes and it manifests itself on his mouth. It manifests itself in his physical being. But now listen what the Lord Jesus says comes out of the heart of the regenerate person. In John chapter 7, verse 38, he who believes in me as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Something completely different is drawn out of his spirit, out of the center of his core, of his being. A different stream is running through him and running in a completely different direction than what is running and coursing out of the unregenerate man. And Paul basically says the same thing in Romans 5, 5. There he says of the believer who has put his faith in Jesus Christ, that the love of God has been poured into his heart by the Holy Spirit. What happens when you have love poured into your heart? It pours out of your heart. 
That's the impulse. That's the desire. That's what rises from the truly born again person. These are important things to understand because they give a measure for you. If you say, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and you don't see this change taking place in your life, and you should, you'll see sin is still there and it's still present there, but you'll see something else. It's not at the core of who you are, what you want to be or what you long for. It's not in rhythm with the ongoing cadence and song that rises from your heart. It's betraying the deep impulses that God by His Spirit has put in you. If not, then you're still living in the flesh. You're still riding in it because that's where the old man lives. It's not where the new man lives. It's not where the Spirit is. It's not in the flesh. Paul is one of these regenerate people. So out of his heart is flowing rivers of living water. But in his flesh, there's still this current moving towards sin. Now, Here's how sin flows out of the unregenerate person. We read about it in Ephesians chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago. It is a current in which the spirit of this age is guiding them and leading them to become children of disobedience. It's an influence that's upon them that has them wed to sin in such a way that sin claims their spirit. And so they're so tied to it that the Bible says in Ephesians 2, they are by nature children of God's wrath or God's judgment. From these fallen spirits and from their hearts, they then live in agreement with the passions of their flesh. They live by their sinful spirits in the flesh, residing in the flesh, composed in the flesh, and they live in a comfortable cooperation with their flesh. And it's their spirits that are, in a sense, coordinating all this, but they coordinate it from the low ground or the basement of their flesh. So Romans 7.5 puts it just this way. Listen to this. It says, for when we were in the flesh, that's a description of the unregenerate individual, the person before he's been made new by Jesus Christ. When we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members, bearing the fruit of death. When our spirits were just resting and residing in our sin-stained, sin-compromised bodies, they work together to activate our members and the active expression of ourselves and passions that just brought about death. All of this living in the sin, in the flesh, is an expression of the old man settled into the passions and lower desires of the flesh, the body soaked with sin. But look here in Romans 7. And Paul says here in Romans 7 that this is not the way that sin flows in his own life. This is the interesting thing. Something's changed in Paul. He says, when we were in the flesh, what's Paul saying? I am not in the flesh. That doesn't mean that he's got rid of this challenge with sin, but he locates now the challenge of sin in his body. It's not in his flesh. So something has changed here. Because in the very next verse, verse 6, Paul says of the saved person that they live or they serve God in newness of the Spirit. Something new has changed. Their life is not operating with the old spirit resting in the flesh. They're not in the flesh. Now they're living, in a sense, from a transcendent place of being made new in the spirit. They don't live at the lower levels of repose in their own compromised sinful flesh. They live their lives from the high point of fellowship with the spirit of God. And, and sin still rises in us, but it doesn't rise from their inner being, from the inner man expressing their desires to the flesh. It rises, you might say, from the extremities of their flesh and sin. Paul is saying that his spirit is not 
in the flesh expressing itself. He is no longer that person of Romans 7.5 who is in the flesh. He's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul says that sin is found in him, but now it's isolated in his flesh. It's not in his heart. It's not his desire. It's not his longing. It's not the inward impulse of his being. It's in his flesh. It's in his flesh, but it's not in his spirit. We are not in the flesh. We do not live in the flesh as born-again believers. And Paul is making an important distinction. So he's saying, this is, in a sense, that is not me. That is not what I want to be in the inner man. That is just my flesh. It's just my body. It's just sin that's residing there. For the Christian, sin doesn't rise from our hearts because we have been given new hearts. It doesn't rise from our spiritual minds because we've been given the mind of Christ. It comes to us from the extremities of our being, not from the core of who we are. Now, you might want to correct me if you've read Romans 7 or all. You might say, wait, Joel, I see something here in verse 14. There, Paul says, I am carnal and sold under sin, which you might read it that way. The NIV actually puts it this way. I am unspiritual, sold under sin. Now, here's the problem. The word there is, I am of the flesh. That's what it says. I am of the flesh. It's sarks again. And Paul is not saying, I am in the flesh. He's saying, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. In other words, Paul is saying, not that I am in the flesh, but I'm still earthly. My regenerate spirit is still kept in this body that is fleshly. I'm a redeemed man in an unredeemed body, and this body is still under the law or the impulses and influence of sin. That's what Paul's saying. But now Paul says in verse 23 something. Go down to Romans 7 to verse 23. By the way, in verse 23, Paul is going to say basically the exact same thing that he says in verse 14. Paul there says, I see another law or impulse in my flesh, in my members, that's warring against the law of my mind, the impulse of the new creation I am, bringing me into captivity or drawing me into the captivity of the law or impulse of sin, which is in my members. So Paul's saying actually the same thing that he's saying in verse 14 there. There's still something going on in my body that's not in cooperation with it. What do we say to all this? This is the, Paul is not making an excuse. Paul is not forming some weird way of looking at himself so he can excuse bad behavior in his life and so he can kind of make some kind of dichotomy between his spirit and his body and saying, well, that's where my body wants to go, but I'm still good because this is where my spirit is. And so don't hold me accountable. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul is basically just expressing a reality that because he has a spirit that has changed, because he has been born again and a regenerate man, for the first time in his life, he finds out that his spirit is completely opposed to his flesh. They're not in cooperation with one another. This isn't a cozy excuse on Paul's mind or what Paul is saying. This is a description. Romans chapter 7 is a description of the real and vigorous and anguished filled battle against sin that the born-again man has with the sin that roils in his body and his flesh. When we came to Christ, our spirits left their cozy, compromised resting place in our sinful bodies, and our flesh and our spirits went to opposite corners, and a fight began. Paul says there's a fight going on between the new man I am in Christ and the body that I still occupy. Only a regenerate person could have written the words of Romans 7. Only a regenerate person could say that in his inmost being he delighted in the law of God. 
Only a regenerate person could say that they hated the sin that they found themselves doing. Only a regenerate man could cry out when they saw the roiling of sin in the body, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Would want that deliverance and to be rescued from it. So Paul is just describing this battle that's taking place, this new battle that's taking place. Here's what the enemy does. That would be our fourth point for today. Here's what the enemy does when sin begins to express itself and flash up within the surface of the new man. And by the way, if you've not been born again, you're just an old man residing in the flesh. And you, at some point in time, can control it and compose it and domesticate it and educate it, but it's still there and will flash up. It's just the animal spirits of a man, fallen man, living in the basement of his flesh, expressing the darkness that comes out over time. That's what you have. For the believer, here's the hope. I've been elevated out of the flesh. I've been raised up in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new spirit in Christ that I might now come out and dictate what's going on in my flesh. When we fall into sin, when the memory of an old sin comes upon us, when its appetites come upon us, when we're brought to revert back to those things and a new sin erupts within us, Satan comes along and says, yeah, you still belong to me. You haven't changed. You're just the same person. The sins that you're acting upon are just a demonstration that they're indicative that I've got a hold of you and I've got control of your life. Because it's roiling within us still. And and God gives us an answer here. No. I died with Christ. I live with Christ. I died with Him never to die again. I live with Him to live forever for His glory and His honor and His praise. And I'm dead to you. And yes, sin still roils in the appetites of my flesh, but it has no claim on me because it is not what my heart wants. It's not the current of the love of God that's coursing through me. It's not the current of the fresh divine river of life that comes out when we want to glorify Him and please Him and serve Him. And that current is going to win. That current is going to overcome because God has given me a promise that I'm more than victors through Jesus Christ. That He has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ. That's what I rest in and that's my promise. You're attempting me and trying to appeal to my flesh. You're appealing not to the core of my being. And my heart rejects this temptation. This is what Paul's saying. Know this. Understand this. And Paul is going to, by the way, you'll see this in Romans 6, Romans 7, number Romans 8. He's going to repeat this theme over and over again. And here's something I know. When the Bible repeats something over and over again, the reason it does it is because it needs to be repeated over and over again. In your life, you need to know something. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you're a new creature in Jesus Christ, and you have authority to address the sin that roils in your flesh. And so this is the application that he's going to make. Paul makes it in another place. Paul basically says, all right, so my body and my spirit have gone to opposite corners. Okay, let the fight begin. Paul actually writes at another time in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I beat my body to keep it under subjection. That is, some translation, I discipline my body. The word that's given for that is actually the word from which you get black and blue. It's like he says, I give my body a black eye. I make it serve my purposes, the spirit's purposes. And God is investing to our spirits, this born-again spirit, authority over our bodies. And that's what Paul is going to say here. What does he say? What are the applications he gives to this? Really quickly, go back to Romans chapter 6 now, verses 12 through 14. Now that you're this new man, now that the old man has died, now that you're a new man in Christ, now that you recognize that sin is just roiling in your body, he says, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That's what your old man was doing. He was just presenting your body to the sin. 
here, let's go here, let's do that. You don't have to do that anymore. He says, no. Now, in the new man you are, present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Take the position of authority here. Take the initiative here. Don't be initiated by the instincts of the flesh. Go above it. Take the initiative. Come from what you are in Christ. Come from the fullness of life you have in Jesus Christ and assert yourself over the impulses of your body. So in verse 19, he says, Now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Present your members. You take it. You take control of these things. Well, how can we do that? Well, you can't if you're an old man just residing in the flesh. But you can if you've been a new man created in Christ Jesus with a new spirit. And Paul will talk about this more and more as we go on. So eventually we'll say in Romans 8 that through the spirit we can put to death the deeds that are done in the flesh. On to sanctification, knowing my place in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truths. God, we thank you for the lessons that you teach us almost daily of the trepidations or the weaknesses of our flesh, teaching us to approach any confidence we have in our physical powers and our physical abilities and our mental abilities with trepidation because they falter and they fail and they drop out from underneath us. The arm of flesh will fail you. Thank you, O oh God. Thank you even when you come against our physical bodies and beat them down in sickness just to demonstrate how completely and totally weak we are in the body and powerless we are in the body. But oh, to have the Spirit of the living God dwelling with us, abiding with us as friend to friend, as king and ruler and guide, to live in agreed submission to him. Slaves, to your grace and your mercy and your righteousness and your command, to under that command to give dictation and command to our very bodies, presenting it to you for your glory and your honor, presenting our members to you to be used for your sake and for your glory, speaking against its impulse, bringing it into discipline by your spirit in cooperation and complete yieldedness to you so that you might dominate, you might dominate and agree we might, we, with you and you might dominate over our bodies and that you would put out a commission in sin's names. Lord, to this end, we come to you, we seek you. The battle goes on, but we glorify you and we praise you for this high place we have. We don't have to scratch and claw our way up to a holy life. We have a relationship with you that will never end. We have holy communion with you as friend to friend. In this high place, where we yield ourselves and you fill us with your very presence in your life, we may descend back into the battle armed for the good fight, for victory. And we praise you for this in Jesus' name.